This podcast contains adult content, including cannabis. You're listening to Bellas Who Blaze. Everyday discussions elevating cannabis lifestyles from a female perspective. Welcome back to another episode of the Bellas Who Blaze podcast. I am your host, Kaya Blooms, and we're here chilling with my sister. Welcome back, sis. Hello. Good to be back. Thanks for having me again. This episode, we want to chat a little bit about cannabis and its strains and the strain families because that is such a big topic and we're definitely not going to get through everything, but we just want to touch on the subject so that we can continue to build on that knowledge of strains slash cultivars and we'll get to those terms in a little bit. And we also wanted to explore some myths that we've grown up with through the cannabis culture and things that we've been told, things that we used to believe that are actually cap or no cap. Is it true? Is it false? Is it bullshit? Yeah, so we're really keen to kind of get into that. And we'll also talk about the different ways cannabis is referred to, the quantities that it's usually bought in especially in legal markets too, because that's pretty standard across the board. So firstly, we want to get into the strains, strain families, and what that is. So sis, when if I say to you, like, what is a cannabis strain, what would you say to that? Well, firstly, strain is a really new concept to me. I didn't even know it was a thing until probably a couple years ago. My understanding of it now is that there are sativas and indicas, one is uplifting, one is more relaxing, and then within those two kinds of families are different flavors, I guess you can get from it. Yeah, flavors can give off different effect as well as different tastes, and yeah, I have a really basic understanding of that as comparing it to like coffee beans. I guess you get coffee beans from... Uh, South America, coffee beans from Africa, they all have different flavor. And so so I kind of compare that concept to the same concept of what I understand as cannabis strains. But how would you explain what a strain is? Okay, the easiest way probably to break it down, because cannabis is such a complex and scientific topic. So the easiest way to break it down into its simplest form is a strain is basically a variety and so these there's different buckets of varieties of cannabis that exists to be a little bit more technical i guess cannabis is basically split up into cannabis sativa cannabis indica cannabis ruderalis and those sativa indica ruderalis kind of reference the region that the plant is from so indica is actually from the indian region and then sativa is actually from kind of central asia region in india the plants grow much shorter and stockier they've got broader leaves they're dark usually a lot more potent and they can be more high thc and definitely bred to be more high thc and then the sativas was traditionally a little bit more higher in CBD and they grow a lot taller their leaves are really narrow and then ruderalis is basically cannabis like hemp's sister so hemp is actually known as cannabis sativa in the more common terminology that's used in most dispensaries and the way we more commonly reference cannabis is exactly like you said uh, sativa indica hybrid A hybrid is a combination of the two in any way that it's made up. 
The part that isn't quite correct is that you really can't associate all sativa or anything classed as sativa as being energizing and you can't class any and every indica as being sedating. And that's partly because how much these the sativas and indicas have been crossed, but also sativa and indica don't really stand for the effect of cannabis. It's really more of referencing the plant, its genetics, how it expresses, if that makes sense. So, so say a grower gets a seed from someone, they don't know what it is, they pop the bean, they grow it, and they're wondering like, oh, I wonder what kind of area the genetics of this or cannabis plant may have come from. They'll look at the leaves. Is it like what kind of coloration does it have? Is it lighter green? Is it darker green? Is it showing purpley hues? How many leaflets does it have? Are they long and thin and narrow? Are they a little bit more broad, broad and thicker with less leaves? Is it growing pretty tall and lanky or is it staying pretty short, stocky and bushy? Those things are what gives them an indication of whether it's indica sativa hybrid, probably most generally a hybrid. It's almost like how humans use (laughs) Ancestry.com. Yeah. Yep. The strains kind of work similar. Yeah, pretty much. And the modern day cannabis is really like that. It's a mixture of a lot of things, but... In terms of the strain families, you've got like hemp. So hemp is that sativa. It's traditionally used for food, for fiber. A lot of us probably have hemp seeds in our salads, smoothies, you know, that kind of thing, cereals. So if you were growing to grow hemp, you would want to grow a sativa dominant plant. Yeah, well, sativa, cannabis sativa and hemp are basically interchangeable names. Right. Yeah, and so hemp is usually high CBD with very, very low amounts of THC. You don't generally tend to smoke hemp, so that is one variety of a strain. So that's one strain category. Another strain category, like we mentioned just before, is ruderalis. Ruderalis. And that's a shorter version of the hemp plant, but it flowers based on age rather than specific light cycles. So most cannabis plants, especially the female, the drug type, they flower on light cycle, which is why there's a specific season that you plant the seed, specific season you harvest. So October in the Northern Hemisphere is also known as croptober because that's when a lot of the crops are taken if it's grown outdoor. Indoor, there's different light cycles for plants. So Different varieties have different light cycles too. So some need more light for longer. Some need not as much light. Yeah, it really depends on the genetic and the type of cannabis it is. But ruderalis is generally, the flowering is based on age. It's a very low THC strain. More like hemp, not as recreational. Yeah, the light cycles kind of sound similar to like menstrual cycles. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) It's very much a female plant. Yep, it totally is. And then you've got the sativa, which is um, the tall, lanky, narrow leaf variety that we uh, spoke about. And they tend to be overall lower in cannabinoid content and slightly higher ratio of CBD. And so traditional sativas that exist, uh, that we know, Burmese haze, Malawi Gold, 
Durban Poison, Red Congolese or Congolese, and then there's the Oaxacan, which is the Mexican, there's Colombian. Mm -hmm. And so the name of the strain can also tell you where the plant's from or what lineage that plant might be. It is trickier nowadays, though, especially in a legal market like Canada, because brands and uh, licensed producers are just starting to make up their own name for a particular strain or cultivar. Well, the cultivar really just refers to the traditional name and the place of its origin. That's why bud tenders or the enthusiasts and the purists tend to lean more towards using the term cultivar versus the term strain. Mm. And then the next family of strains is the indica. And that's also a really well-known one. A lot of people refer to indica as the indicouch strains, which can be true for some and not true for others. Indica strains were already explained that it's shorter, it's bushier, they've got fatter leaves, less leaflets, they can be darker in colors. Um, the buds are also denser and less elongated, so they're not going to be as tall or as long. They're going to be a little bit more compact, cone-shaped, um, and the two main or common types of indicas are bred from the Kush, which is from the Hindu Kush Valley, and then the Afghani kind. So the Afghani kind, uh, the most well-known strains underneath Afghani are hash plant, blueberry is very famous, northern lights, mazar, those ones. And then on the Kush side is obviously Hindu Kush. And then you've got strains like Baba, um, OG, Purple Kush, Chemdog. Those are the ones that are all very well-known Kush bred strains. Indicas are also the most like crystally resinous pungent strains, mm -hmm. which is why a lot of uh, medical patients like Danny tend to lean more towards the Kushes. She really likes those high THC strains or cultivars because they're the heavy hitters and they can help a lot of ailments and be used medically as well. And then you've got the hybrids and the strains that have a mixture of both, depending on who the mothers of that particular strain or cultivar or variety is. And the most common types of hybrids that we have today and some of the best known are probably really famous ones that majority of people would have heard of are strains like cookies. So underneath cookies, we've got Girl Scout cookies, animal cookies, thin mint cookies. You've got the widow family as well underneath the hybrids, which is like white widow, very common here in New Zealand, Moby Dick, uh, white rhino and Chernobyl. And then you've got the diesel family, and underneath that you've got like Lemon Diesel, Bruce Banner, BC Diesel, New York Diesel, and then probably one of the most famous is the Jacks family, and that contains like Jack Herrera, Jack Frost, Cinderella 99, Atomic Haze, that's hybrids, and then obviously you've got the group of high CBD strains. And these ones typically have a lot less THC as well. So it's not necessarily psychoactive, but that's not to say that you won't have any euphoric effects. It still absolutely can, but you just won't get the psychoactive side of it so much. And the most common 
types of high CBD strains that we all know are like Charlotte's Web, Canatonic, and Charlotte's Web is actually that strain that Dina was talking about, named after the medical patient Charlotte Fiji, who was suffering seizures, and so the strain was actually created for her before she passed. So that kind of covers off strains, I guess. Yeah, it kind of explains that it kind of defeats the whole myth of sativa is this and indica is this. Um, cannabis has been generalized in those main categories when really those names just came based off their original origins and that it doesn't really apply anymore and that you should really know more about strain names. Yeah, strain names are also kind of a hotly debated topic because it's not always accurate when it comes to strain names. In summary, you can't really put labels on strains that relate to effect. So you can't really say a sativa is energizing and an indica is always sedating because indica and sativa basically just stand for... um, It refers to their growth patterns that we talked about before on how cushions and indicas are shorter, stockier, sativas are more like tall, etc. Like those parts. Mm. Um, And I guess strain names in strain names still hold meaning, especially when it comes to like land race strains, which are like basically the original genetic from a particular place and so original sativa land races you can find them in like africa and asia and those parts um versus indica land races that you'll find again like we mentioned in different areas of the world like the hindu kush valley but the the strain names also get complicated because even though say like Congolese is that sativa we talked about that is from Congo or say Durban poison Durban poison is a land race sativa from South Africa which is why it's called Durban poison as people have taken these genetics crossed them with other things the strain name and the genetic itself has gotten really muddled and so even if you bought a Durban poison, you don't actually know if it is or not unless they can tell you the exact genetic or the breeder that the seed came from. So um, another example of why strain names are complicated and they don't quite reflect a genetic or um, a particular cultivar is that, especially in Canada with a legal market, brands will sometimes rename a particular strain so they could take... Um, so they might take a particular strain and go, actually, we're going to get rid of strain names in general and just label one, um, energy, one calm, one soothe, etc. And just kind of try and sell it based on an effect. And that can be great for certain people who just don't understand strain names, don't understand cultivars, don't understand indica sativa like all of that stuff is confusing so for a new Mm. consumer to be able to have that i guess it might be useful Mm -hmm. what that complicates is that the calm might not be calming for everybody right so that's one complicated layer and then there are the people that want to know what the particular strain is so they're like what is in the calm 
and people might be like, well, it's a mix of different cultivars. It could be, who knows? Because there are pre-rolls out there that are just a mix of whatever is sativa, of whatever is indica. It's not like strain specific. But then you've got the the brands and licensed producers who do care about the genetics or they they put an effort to preserve the particular strain name and so it's like a mix so it's hard to go by strain names as well like you were kind of mentioning in both a legal and an illegal market Mm -hmm. because it gets all muddled up sometimes someone just feels like naming something themselves because they want to and so they're gonna call something ghost poison (laughs) or you know like they might just make up a name that suits them you know Mm. they might even name it after themselves if they want to Mm -hmm. so strain names aren't exactly a good place to start either but um strain names work really well in order for people to know exactly what they're consuming and what kind of effect it would have on them but that being said it could also be confusing for a lot of other people with how brands can make their own names to umbrella a lot of other strain names mm-hmm. and that and so I guess that could also be confusing for others who aren't as familiar with strain names like you said how other companies can release products that umbrella a lot of strain names under one word such as calming or energizing like you said but it won't always have that effect so it can be really great for people to educate themselves but it can also go hand in but it can also be quite confusing. Yeah, and this is, I think, strain, strain names, and trying to categorize cannabis sativa and cannabis indica is still such a widely debated topic. No one really has an answer yet. You know, there are people who are adamant that we need to preserve the strain names, and I completely see the reasons why behind those, because there's a lot of culture and history that is behind that and a lot of the origin stories as well. But then when you're coming into a legalized market and then you're trying to kind of make the information as digestible as possible, that really gets complicated um, with the strain names because there's no real format to it. The most format that there is at the moment is, say, sativas, the traditional sativas that are labeled um, as energizing or I guess the ones that you would categorize towards being a bit more energizing, uplifting, all of those things um, generally have like skunk or haze or something along those lines within its name. And then the heavier, like if, if something has cush at the end of it, you kind of know that it's going to be a bit heavier Like, that's kind of one way some people do it. In general, this is still a work in progress. And everyone in the industry is still trying to figure out a standardized reference, but also standardized terminology around, okay, well, how do we approach this? Because currently brands are saying sativa is energizing, indica is sedating. And from the get-go, that's false. Mm. (laughs) So, um yeah, people are trying to find different ways to uh, break that information down. Some people are relying a lot more on terpenes and their their profiles because 
sativas are more likely to be a more fruity, citrusy in terms of aroma, and then indicas do have a lot more of a gassy undertone. And so that's one way that you're able to separate the two categories. In a legal market, they're trying to expand the amount of testing on a label. So rather than just including THC and CBD, include some other minor cannabinoids like CBG, CBN, um, along with the different terpene uh, percentages or that kind of thing. But yeah, in terms of a standard graph that you can look at to go, okay, well, this is here and that's there, there, is, there isn't one. Would you say there almost needs to be a global standard of where strains kind of sit within a graph sort of thing, like you said? I think standardizing something across the board is really important. And then I think mm. also people learning more about genetics mm-hmm. is also important and why, why that matters. And what would you say is the most important reason for why that matters? Like, oh, why does it even matter? Like, why should I care? About genetics. Mm. Because the genetics will determine the quality of the product. Like, obviously, how it's cultivated, the skill of the grower, all of those things, and the processing, curing, all of that matters too. Mm -hmm. But in the end, if your seed's a shit seed, then you can only do so much to make that shit seed good Mm -hmm. and so if your genetics are really good and it's come from a really strong line of genetics and then you've got a really good grower that that can help it reach its maximum potential or its best potential then you're going to have a much better product Mm -hmm. much better terpene profile much better everything like that all leads to the much better end effect and in product and experience. Mm-hmm. So speaking of strains, you went to LA and you got to kind of go to dispensaries. You were also in Vancouver, but what did you know then and how did you go about picking your strains or cultivars? I really didn't know anything. I literally just walked into a dispensary and I just saw heaps of jars. I saw like a menu with all the strain names, like in a cafe or restaurant I really didn't even know what I was doing. I just went for whatever. I think the bud tender there, she let me smell a few. And I didn't even know what I was smelling for. (laughs) I was just (laughs) smelling it for the sake of smelling it. And then I think I just chose whatever. Smelled good? Sounded cool. (laughs) (laughs) Not Not even smell good? No, not even smell good. Just like, I was like, I like strawberries. So maybe I'll go for that (laughs) strawberry flavor. And then I think I just chose a couple pre-rolls. And yeah, I was just so misinformed. I think I ended up getting a sativa pre-roll, even though I was so keen to like sleep because I couldn't sleep on the plane. And so I had a sativa pre-roll that night and was so awake and energized. And I'm like, damn it. I was so ready to chill and have a really nice long sleep. But here I am awake. Yeah, here I am awake. In a hostel. Yeah. In my little Airbnb. Yeah, I was just so misinformed, just didn't know, didn't know what I was doing. I was pretty much just like a kid in a candy store, just picking whatever looked and sounded cool and nice and just went with that and had no idea what effect it would do to me. Yeah, I was very uneducated. <laughs> mm. 
I went to a dispensary in LA right before I was going to this reggae gig that someone random that just invited me to. <laughs> just a random person in the yeah, public. pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, I went to a dispensary and then she gave me like two additional free pre-rolls because I bought flour. And one of them was sativa, one of them was indica. I was like going to ask her to label which was which, but I forgot. And then I left the store and then I was at this reggae gig and I was like, I have two pre-rolls. One's going to put me to sleep. One's going to energize me for the rest of the night. Which one is it going to be? <laughs> and I remember I smelt them both. And I was like, this one smells more citrusy. I'm just going to bank it on this one. And sure enough, it was the sativa. Or oh, like, it wow. was the more energizing, lighter cultivar. Thank goodness. Yeah, you have a good nose. And you knew nose. what to smell for. <laughs> yeah. At least you knew what to smell for. I had no idea what to smell for. Yeah. The other one smelled real gassy. So I was like, mm, this smells like a heavy hitter. Mm. I'm gonna save that for later. Yeah. So gassy would tend to have a heavier effect. For me, for sure. And for a lot of people. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, hopefully we gave kind of good broken down overview of the main families of strains. The main ones to really remember are sativa indica hybrid. You don't really need to remember things like ruderalis or hemp, really. Although you can't say sativa is energizing, indica is sedating, hybrids are a balance of the two, it is a good place to begin your learning journey in terms of that understanding. There's that you have to consider when you're purchasing cannabis in a legal environment. And then you've also got the quantities. In New Zealand, we use the metric system up until it comes to cannabis, basically. Yeah. So if... You're a New Zealander and you know an ounce is 28 grams and you know a half is 14, a quarter is 7 grams, then there's a reason why we know this. Mm -hmm. And it's probably because of cannabis. Mm -hmm. And so in North America and places that use the imperial system, that's how you typically buy cannabis. You can buy it basically in set quantities from, okay, so there's obviously pre-rolls, but let's just say we're talking flour. If you're buying flour and you're going into a dispensary, it usually comes in either a gram. Very rarely, though, do you ever buy a gram. That's anyway, a tiny amount. Eh? It is a tiny amount for the amount you pay. Mm. It's probably the least economical way. Not worth it. Definitely not. And then the next up from that is what's known as an eighth, which is 3.5 grams. And then you've got a quarter, which is 7 grams. And then you've got a half, which is half an ounce, 14 grams. And then you've got the ounce, which is 28 grams. So that's kind of how the the quantities, the buckets of quantities that you buy cannabis in. Mm -hmm. Well, eighths would be 50s. Eighths would be 50s, yeah. But I I don't know of many 50 bags that are, 3 .5 from my, yeah, from grams. my experience, 3.5. Mm. A 50 pretty much in New Zealand is $50 for around three grams, if you're lucky. <laughs> if you're lucky, yeah. Which is how I usually used to buy it in, is in 50s. Mm. Probably. Or 50s in the West. <laughs> yeah, 50s with two Ds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love how you just threw the West side yeah, sign up there. It. it just came with it. I couldn't not. The hand just came up automatically. <laughs> Didn't even have to think. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the typical quantities that you'd buy cannabis in. So in a typical legal market where you are buying for yourself, 
what would a haul look like for you and how would you store it at home? A typical haul for me, if it's a big re-up or haul, I would typically probably grab two to three eighths. Because for me, an eighth is a good amount to have a test or a sample of a cultivar, mm-hmm. a flower, but not fully commit to it. Especially because in a legal environment, you've got so much choice. So you really don't want to limit yourself and get, you know, seven grams or a half, be stuck with 14 grams and smoke a joint from it and not actually enjoy it that much. Mm. Um I would typically get two to three different flower, different types of flower, and I will try and get one that's kind of within the skunk haze realm. And I tend to lean more towards the hazes and the skunks as well. Like, that's my area that I like. Because mm-hmm. weirdly, cushions and the heavier cultivars that are more gassy tend to also block me up a bit. Even from the point that I'm grinding it, and rolling it mm. like immediately I might just start sneezing or congestion yeah my eyes would get itchy I would start to already have this kind of hay fevery reaction mm-hmm. versus the citrusy more fruity fruity cultivars don't tend to do that to mm. me as much and that's something I learned at the dispensary as a being a bud tender and we used to actually like hand roll pre-rolls yeah <laughs> and just pack cones all the time Mm. um and i noticed that whenever i was doing the kush ones i would always get really itchy versus if i was doing like a super lemon haze or anything more citrusy and fruity then it would be totally fine so i would definitely go for a couple rain couple different ranges of flower yeah and if i've run out of concentrates then i'll definitely be re-upping some of those too so Mm. getting like either terp sauce or diamonds or live resin yeah those would be my jam even hash as well hash is on the market so i i love adding a bit of hash into a joint or a cheeky pipe um so a typical haul is like everything everything. (laughs) (laughs) pretty much a bit of everything of any type of cannabis you can consume (laughs) yeah yeah i am like a kid in a candy store i really can't control myself when i go into a dispensary yeah i couldn't blame you yeah i guess from that experience being a kid in a candy store not being able to control my sugar intake i.e cannabis intake i did have a period especially when i was working as a bud tender and this was a gray market dispensary so we were getting to test a lot of products so almost every shift I'd get given like a rosin or a live resin or some kind of concentrate to try out and test or an edible and that kind of thing plus I was also smoking joints after work and then going for walks coming back hitting my pen and then testing out some of the products that you know I had to give feedback on and doing that for like a good couple months I started to get really really sick in the mornings like in the mornings I would have a really upset stomach to a point where I would start to like dry wrench and I felt like I needed to vomit and then it would go away when I would have like a really hot shower And Mm. I didn't have, like, a huge appetite until after I smoked. 
and another guy actually at the dispensary as well, he was telling me about how he has cannabis hyperemesis syndrome or hyperemesis. And I was like, what even is that? And he's like, oh, it's like when you overconsume cannabis where your body, basically your body's like exceeded its quota of how much cannabis it needs and your body starts to react in certain ways. Some of the main signs of cannabis hyperemesis is nausea. <laughs> mm -hmm. I had a uh, tendency to use hot baths or showers for relief. That was my next step in the morning. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you'd also get stomach pains. You'd find it difficult to eat or hold food down. You'd lose weight. That's definitely not a problem I had. <laughs> and vomiting or diarrhea. Some people can get it really severely too, but that's if you have like a really bad case of cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Mm. But I definitely had it in like a very mild way and it's not necessarily as understood they say that thc is a big component to what may contribute to it majority of cannabis consumers don't actually develop this so there could be other factors that could have triggered it yeah and sometimes that just means that you need to take a break take a tolerance break let your body just detox and let it come back to its usual self. Mm. But I think that's also just like a hangover of being part of a prohibition country or being from an illegal environment because mm. I don't know, you have this scarcity mindset, even at the dispensary, like we would have jars of fresh cannabis. And then as the jars got lower and lower, the bottom would always end up being what we call shake, which is like crumbs, t little buds, maybe some leaves, like just a bunch of stuff at the bottom left over. And whenever we got new stuff in, we'd have to clean those jars out. So we'd basically throw all the shake out. Mm. And I just remember the first time someone throw, threw out shake in front of me and they put it in the bin. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we're throwing it out. It's like, it's like the end. And I was like, if you're going to throw it out, like I'll take it. And they looked at me like... Who are you? You're going to take this home when we've got all this good bud? And I was like, the weed gods would be so mad. <laughs> yeah. Especially coming from this country. Yeah, where you, like, preserve everything that you've got. Yeah. Even down to, like, your, like, not fully smoked roaches just in case. Yeah. You need to, like, pick some stuff out of it. and The shake is, like, the product we buy here. <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, the premium stuff you pay for. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I never heard of cannabis hyperemesis until now. Mm. And so when you were feeling nauseous the next day, you were obviously feeling sober in your mind, but just not in your body. Yeah, I was pretty sober for sure by the time I woke up in the morning. And I, I don't know if it was because I was sober that it was getting triggered as well. So if someone who's not a heavy consumer, could they experience cannabis hyperemesis? Potentially, they might, because uh, it might just be their body as well, mm. and they might not need that much to experience it. And then mm -hmm. some people can be extremely heavy users and never experience it ever. Mm. But from the people I've met who have been long-term heavier consumers, they tend to always tell me that they don't get hungry. 
Wow. Until so, they smoke. Right. Over time, it eventually completely suppresses your appetite. Yeah, for kind, yeah, for them. Kind of like how cannabis use can also suppress dreams. And so when you take a tolerance break and then it kind of leaves your system and you get back into your rapid eye movement or REM sleep, you tend to have really vivid, crazy dreams because basically what your body's doing is it's catching up all of that REM sleep that you'd missed out on in like a short period of time, which is why you can have really crazy, vivid dreams mm. when you take tolerance breaks. Yeah. But then some people still consume cannabis and still dream perfectly fine. So Yeah, true. Yeah. But that is cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. And there's still much to be learnt about it. And I think as these legal markets open up and there's more research, we'll start to know a bit more about it. But still, no one's, di- no one's died of yeah. all the things that can happen. It's not that bad. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that whole smoking aspect is really interesting too because we do talk about cannabis from a wellness perspective integrated into your well-being ritual or your management of health. But I do find myself feeling a little bit contradictory that the act of smoking is what kind of is for my health, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know. How do you feel about smoking cannabis versus the other forms of consuming it? Yeah, I do have mixed feelings about it just because it doesn't feel healthy when I'm doing it. It doesn't feel like I'm doing something good for my body and my lungs, especially. And so I definitely have mixed feelings about it. Um, I don't like the smell. I don't like how my fingers smell after Like the it. smell of the smoke. Yeah, that burnt, yeah. smoky smell. The, uh, the after smell that lingers on your fingers after a joint, your lips after a joint, yeah. or a bong. Yeah. That smell, right? Like, I love the smell of weed, like flower. Yeah, but that burnt, smoky smell, yeah. I don't enjoy that aspect of it, but after I finish consuming, I don't really care. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now you, that you I'm get enjoying over it, that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> When I'm enjoying it, I get over it. But yeah, it's definitely something I feel conflicted about. And I guess the it's the smell of like bong water and everything too that really mm. puts me off. Mm-hmm. The cleaning of it as well is quite intense. Yes. So yeah, I do find that part a little bit contradictory. But at the same time, it is the fastest way for cannabis to take effect mm. is to smoke it. It yeah. works quicker than anything else. And you're also controlling, you know, the exact amount you put into the cone. You know, the exact amount you're lighting and how much you're inhaling. And mm-hmm. you can kind of control that yourself. Yeah. Whereas, say, if a pill was created and, say, you take the pill and you'll get the same effect of if you smoked it, I feel like it'll be harder to control the amount. And, like, would you take a pill, a cannabis pill, if they say this is the same effect as smoking except healthier for you and your lungs? That's an interesting question because I asked this endocannabinoid specialist and scientist this question because I wondered, is it better to smoke cannabis? Because if you're smoking cannabis, then the majority of that health effect is going into your lungs, right? Because you're inhaling the smoke. But if you're ingesting cannabis, then what kind of effects does that have on your other organs, like your kidney or your liver? Mm. And if we're to compare the two, which would be less 
of an impact to your body? Would it be smoking or ingesting? Right. He couldn't answer the question, but he was like, that's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let me get back to you on that. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. But I do wonder that. If I was given a pill to say this was healthier, then I would question, okay, well, how is it healthier? Like, is the impact on the other other organs of my body less than it would be if I smoked it for my lungs? Mm. And if they said yes, then I'd probably, cons- I would try it, see how I felt and see how I liked it and probably put it into my routine of re-up products. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another different product to add yeah. to the haul. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think that I would just completely eliminate smoking at all. Mm. But I did notice that my smoking of flour overall in Canada was less than it is here because flour is the main thing that you get here. Yeah, the only thing, really. Pretty much the only (laughs) thing, yeah. Yeah. When I was living in Vancouver, I was much more of a concentrates consumer. Don't get me wrong, I still love a joint, but I found it... I didn't like the smell that it left me with, even though I know it's legal and I know that no one really cares, but I just didn't like smoking up a joint and then knowing I reek of cannabis and like stepping into a train or something and just knowing that this like trail of cannabis (laughs) is just like hanging on behind you as you walk in. Lurking. Yeah. Stalking you. Exactly. Or, you know, just the feeling of taking a bong hit into my lungs, especially because of all the health things that I've been through with my lungs. It's just not something that is very easy on my body. Mm. And so I found that vaping cannabis or vaporized cannabis was much easier on my lungs. I liked the effect of it as well. I find that smoking the plant matter can be quite heavy in terms of effect too. Mm-hmm. And then the smell aspect, it's like a much lighter smell, more pleasant, almost unidentifiable as cannabis, mm-hmm. which I prefer. And I think it can be really confusing when we talk about vaping cannabis because it can be associated to like e-cigarettes, but it's completely different. When we talk about vaping cannabis, it can be anything from vaping it in a volcano, which is a medically approved device through to like concentrates that can be vaporized as well which is basically those beautiful crystals that we've spoken about the trichomes um, extracted from the cannabis plant that's that but then on the culture side too there's such a big culture around like smoking joints and doing smoke tricks and even like kind of unwritten slash unspoken but also spoken rules within the culture of cannabis Mm -hmm. there's i guess the main one one of the biggest ones if you spark a joint which way does it go first to the left like beyonce (laughs) pretty much to the left to the left (laughs) so for some reason when you spark up a joint it always gets passed to the left i never knew that really yeah i wonder why ah I thought it would have been to the right because a lot of people are right-handed. No, it's to the left. Ah, maybe because you grab it with your right hand. Maybe. To the left is quite a big cultural thing. You'll often hear people talk about puff, puff, pass, which refers to puff, puff, pass, which refers to you take your hit and then you pass it on. You don't babysit the joint. 
and tell a long-winded story while you're waving this joint around and everyone's just staring at it, you pass it. Obviously, in and on COVID times as well. Yeah. And just know that if you are that person telling that story, no one's listening to your story. (laughs) Everyone's watching the joint and seeing how quickly it's burning down. (laughs) Pretty much. I remember when I met people in LA, they were like shocked that I was going to smoke the like roach down and they're like they actually took it out my hand they're like you never smoke a roach down (laughs) and I was like what this is like a new custom for me yeah (laughs) like you're supposed to smoke until you taste the cardboard (laughs) yeah like you see it yeah (laughs) but they're like you never smoke that and they like threw it down into the ashtray really yeah how much of it was left probably a good centimeter really yeah at least at least probably yeah at least a good centimeter oh my gosh and they just like put it in the ashtray wow yeah i guess it's just too spicy and such a waste well not a waste i mean like it's not even worth it to them yeah it's not enjoyable anymore once it gets that spicy and you lose like the fresh of the first hit Mm. whereas in new zealand you smoke all the way until you can pretty much see the cardboard and then before you even throw it away you check with everyone in the group that everyone agrees it's done yeah <laughs> just to make sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's that other rule the one who rolls it sparks it mm-hmm. so yeah definitely in two minds about smoking but that doesn't really stop me from doing it anything in moderation is fine especially from my hyperemesis slight hyperemesis experience I was like okay I can't I can't go hard all the time Mm. and just to control control the intake for when I need it and what I need it for even if it's just because I want it because I want it that's good enough for me Mm -hmm. because essentially like we mentioned joints not joints but just smoking in general is the fastest way to consume it and it's also the most controlled way, like you said, mm-hmm. um, where you can really know how much you're taking in versus edibles and ingestible products. The effects are much slower to come on and the effects can be for much longer. But what are the, some of the signs that you look for when you know you're greening out? I get sweaty palms. Definitely the sweats. Yeah, the sweats. Mm-hmm. A bit of like lightheadedness, like kind of a mixture of motion sickness slash just like that low blood pressure feeling. Mm-hmm. And... Just a little bit faint. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, increasing paranoid thoughts just in my head. Mm. What about you? I feel like there's waves going through my body. Yes. Like... That's not necessarily every time I overconsume. Sometimes edibles just come in waves. Mm-hmm. I definitely get the cold sweats for sure. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I even start shaking, and that's actually an overconsumption of THC too. Oh. It's like you can sometimes shake. I've experienced that. Yep, that's what it is. <laughs> Never knew. Yeah, definitely like a dizziness or almost like lightheaded. And your vision kind of changes, so everything is a little bit more foggy or cloudy Mm. for me. Almost as if, like, a migraine is coming on, but not quite the thumping head portion of a migraine. And then if I'm grinning out really bad, then 
you start to spin. Like the whole world feels like it's spinning and mm-hmm. you're a little bit off balance or quite off balance. Mm-hmm. And then you can also feel nauseous too. Yeah. But those are generally the signs of, or what I look for when I know that I'm about to overconsume. But I haven't actually done that in a in quite a while. Mm. Probably a year. Yeah, probably same. <laughs> not, which is actually not a long time. Yeah, that's not a long time. But... But generally for me, when I do start feeling like that, I don't know why, but with anything, even if I'm just like feeling sick in general, if I just vomit, I automatically feel better. Mm. And so even with like, if I'm starting to feel like I'm greening out and I'll be like, do I feel like I need to vomit? I'll be like, yep, just go and vomit. And then I'll do it and I'll instantly feel better. Mm. And I feel like that's just because how my body reacts with anything. Mm. If I'm feeling like motion sick or just some kind of food made me sick or a smell made me sick. If I just vomit, it automatically makes me feel better. Mm. So I don't know if that's like a coping mechanism. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good coping mechanism. mechanism. (laughs) But for some reason, like that's what helps me kind of bring myself out of that feeling of, am I going to feel like this forever? How am I going to get myself out of this feeling? Mm. As soon as I start to feel like, oh shit, I'm like a little bit higher than I and that I want to be. I learned that if I sculled a ton of water, mm-hmm. it would bring me back a little bit. And when I say scull, like as much as possible, like go full liter if you can. And then that usually tends to bring me back. If not, then I, tricks that people say are chew on peppercorns mm-hmm. because different terpenes can also help you help kind of counteract or have this entourage effect that helps you kind of balance things out. Mm-hmm. So peppercorns have caryophylline, any kind of citrus fruit that has limonene, lemon, oranges. If you can eat that, smell that, that kind of thing can also help. Mm-hmm. And then the best one to have on hand, and I always have on hand, is CBD. Mm-hmm. CBD is the best counteract of THC that's fascinating because that feels like when you're experiencing it it's the last thing you would want to reach for is more cannabis in a way Mm, yeah but it's it brings you back from the high and so you know even if we're at events in Canada quite often someone will have CBD on hand for that one person who just takes it a little bit too far and really? you're like, have some CBD, we'll bring you back for a sec. Wow. Yeah, so it can really help, especially if you can smoke the CBD, obviously, because that works a lot quicker, mm. but you can even have like a tincture or some gummies on hand or anything with CBD and it can really help counter the spin out that THC can have on some people when you have too much. Wow, that's cool. Mm. So make sure your haul includes some CBD. Always does. <laughs> I also read that herbal tea can help. Mm-hmm. Yep. And watching something funny. Yes, watching something funny, deep breaths yeah, can also help. But I'd say the biggest one would be to stay hydrated, mm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, skull back, ideally water. Don't just go back and skull a soda. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> That's just going to create a whole nother set of problems. problems. Digestion, gas, (laughs) (laughs) on top of all the greening out issues you're having. (laughs) Yeah, definitely don't do that. Also helps to eat something if 
if you're still in that phase of greening out, that is possible. Yeah. Sometimes you catch it too late and you just have to sleep it off. Yeah. That's good too. Stay mm-hmm. hydrated. Mm-hmm. But you won't die. Most importantly. Yeah. Most importantly, you won't die. You'll wake up. You might feel a bit heavy in the body the next day and feel like a weed hangover. Mm-hmm. Definitely nowhere near in comparison to a, an alcohol hangover. Mm. Like you're not going to be vomiting all the next day or anything like that. Mm. So true. And I read that for all the scientific skeptics out there, there's actually no cannabinoid receptors in the part of the brain that controls like your major organs, unlike opioid. You have opioid receptors in the place that controls your breathing. And so that's why people can overdose from opioids, but there's actually no receptors for cannabinoids in that part of your brain. So it's actually like biologically impossible to die from it, which Mm -hmm. is like, wow, that's so fascinating. And we have so many CB1, CB2 receptors all through our body Mm. that are made to take cannabinoids. Yeah. Which is so interesting too. Yeah. And then it's that one place. Yeah. The one place that can't cause any serious harm. It's not there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a good extra reassurance. If you're ever feeling doubtful or extra paranoid when you're experiencing something like that, Mm. just know that scientifically it's impossible. So overall, we learnt today that it is an education first and foremost, is really important. We covered off uh, quite a few things today. So it was a very full episode touching on things from strains and the strain, the main kind of strain families or categories through to some parts of the culture. Obviously not everything, just like very surface level culture stuff. Even our kind of internal dilemmas about smoking cannabis. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, ongoing dilemmas <laughs> yeah ongoing dilemmas let us know if you have any any way you deal with that or yeah. any kind of rationale that you justify it for yourself mm-hmm. i'd like <laughs> no, to know yeah we'd we'd love that we'd love to hear yeah it's a community here yeah so thanks for sticking around for another episode of bellas who blaze yeah thank you for having me on for another episode i've definitely learned a lot in this last hour or so Definitely fascinated about the whole cannabis hyperemesis, something I never even knew existed, but it's definitely good to know for myself and my own personal consumption. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bella Zoo Blaze. Be sure to follow us at Bella Zoo Blaze. We have a Discord if you'd like to slide on through. Our DMs are always open. If you have any questions, if you have any suggestions of questions you or you have or topics you'd like us to cover, we're always open to hearing your thoughts. Um, so feel free to drop us a comment, drop us a like, a follow. Stay blazed. Stay happy. Stay elevated. Matane and matewa. Thanks for listening to Bellas Who Blaze.